Tell them who we are. Solder smoke. Golden fingers. <laughs> Loved everywhere. That's you, man. Mm. And we don't get that, Pete. No. No, we don't. We're not taking any drugs here, no. No. Wait, but this gets it. Cover of Sprat Magazine. Sprat Z. Sprat. Sprat. On the cover of Sprat Magazine. Congratulations, Bill. Dr. Hook in the medicine sheet. Listen, hold on. Oh, man, this is a flashback here. Great old song. Great old song. Shel Silverstein and the rock group. You know it. Dr. Hook. All right, enough of that silliness, gang. It is uh, Saturday, the 13th of January, 2018, our first show of the new year. That makes this solder smoke number? 202. Is it 202? 202. That's right. I I I messed up the numbers. Thank God. Thank God you keep us on the straight and narrow here. Yeah, that was our musical opening from uh, Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. Uh, a song written by Shel Silverstein. You know, the guy who wrote, you know, kids' books, right? But, but who, you know, it was a different time. <laughs> he also wrote yeah. for Playboy magazine. Yeah, well, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, books. Dr. Yeah. Hook, Dr. <laughs> drug songs for Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show. <laughs> it was a different time. Anyway, yeah. uh. We thought about that because we are indeed on the cover of Sprat 173, I think it is. A very auspicious number. 173, about the DC receiver rig that we've been working on. And we were all singing along there with Dr. Hook. So good stuff. All right, happy to, happy to get this one. Well, Pete, I think we missed your birthday. Did we? Oh, well. Another uh, orbit completed, December yeah. 21st. I mean, it's, I, I'm not going to claim that I remembered. Skype reminded me when you came up. I saw those little birthday cake in the background. But hey, great. No. Hey, I hope you had a good birthday, Pete. I did. You got a, you got a cool – is that a birthday cup there, the the, 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 uh, the mug he's got? A, I'm going to take a picture of this was, thing. It was Father's Day because the word below it says Dad. <laughs> so oh, I, I, guess clipped it, the, I clipped the picture. So it, it, just, it just says most awesome. awesome. Pete's got a, got, a, got a mug there that says most awesome. I, you know, I've, I've shown many people a picture of you with the, uh, the jaunty, uh, you know, the Christmas uh, Santa, Santa headgear. But this, that's a very cool mug. I'm gonna have to get, that'll be in the screenshot for today. All right, we're going to open up with a little bit of travel log and a little bit of weather disaster report. You know, uh, and, I know, I know, and you're going to do most of that. But, but first, the travel. I don't have a whole lot of solder melting to report on this month. I know you do, so you're gonna you're gonna carry the 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 uh, the load here. But uh, I, I have an excuse because I was traveling uh, back to the Dominican Republic, back to Hotel India Land. We went down there on uh, December 18th, came back around 28th or 29th. Spent about 10 days out on the eastern tip of the island. I'm telling you, it's on nice. the beach. On the beach, man. White white sand sunscreen beaches. On. White sand beaches, palm trees, you know, 85 degrees with a nice breeze. But you did have a rig with you. I just, no, but I took a receiver. See, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't want to, it was, it was, it was the kind of trip where I thought, ah, I'm not going to, not going to bring the rig. And I, you know, I got tired. Last time it was fun, but 
You know, two watts double sideband to a dipole on 20 meters. Whew, not for the faint of heart. Anyway, it was fun. That Powered by 10 AA batteries at that time. So this time I just took the Sony shortwave receiver that I uh, managed to repair. And it was fun. I, I did a little bit of shortwave listening from the beach one day. Christmas Eve, we were on the beach. And I, uh, I put up a little post on uh, with a couple of pictures of my shortwave listening post. And I put up a list of names of the uh, the call signs. <clears throat> Sorry, the call signs that we heard. So that was that was kind of fun. But um, great trip. Um, went into Santo Domingo, visited Elisa's family, but spent most of the time on the eastern tip of the island, a place called Punta Cana. Very nice. And while we were there, we were we were reading about the horrible weather and the dramatic events in California. I hope you remain out of harm's way there, Doctor Giuliano. It's been pretty bad though. Yeah, we have the three Fs. What are they? Fire, flood, flu. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and mud now, too, huh? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. Uh, Highway 101 is still closed because and that's of an, the mud. That's an important that's road for from, you, right? Yeah, it's, it's one of the arteries north. Uh, you take either 101 or 5, and uh, it's still closed, and, and they're talking about next week Man. because the mud just in the, and and that that's a critical link between – Santa Barbara and and Ventura County and you know people actually well for instance they go to school <laughs> UCSB <laughs> right up 101 and it's closed it's just not happening man yeah. it's it's pretty it's pretty it's a, I mean you guys have the the weather and the disasters out there and they're just regular I mean and just just amazing amazing stuff I really feel sorry for everybody who's caught up in that mess and every time something like that happens I'm looking at the map trying to figure out where is Newberry Park in relation to this latest catastrophe? I'm glad that you're... Yeah. Well, you haven't been too close to it, have you? Uh, actually, the distance is about... The closest was about 15 miles. Ooh, that's pretty close. 15, 15 mm-hmm. miles. Uh, uh, you know, it's a f- interesting story about young people, if I can t- just take a second here in their resilience. My nephew and his his family, their house burnt to the ground. Wow. Right, be- right before Christmas. And he lived up in Ventura. And uh, I was talking to um, my XYL's uh, sister, uh, who, who's his mom, and resilience. So they said, you know what? This is okay. They went and bought another house. <laughs> and they're living in the other house, going to turn it into a rental. And they said, you know, the house that burnt down, the bathrooms were small. The kitchen was not right. <laughs> so they're looking at it. And, Look at the bright side. <laughs> yeah. So they said, we're going to fix all that. And, and I thought. You know, that's terrific. That's the spirit, man. <laughs> yeah, that's Keep on terrific. going. All right. Yeah. All right, so very good. All right, I'm glad to hear everything is working out out there. Hey, I wanted to mention something. Somebody forgot to mention about my trip to the beach. You know, I took a I took a book. Well, you know, you, you always got to have some beach reading with you. And now I load the, 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 the books into my phone, my iPhone, and I just read it right off the phone. So, you know, if you, have your, you always have your phone with you. So what the heck? You have your phone, your camera your email, everything's right there, and then you put a book in there, too. And the book I picked was based on a post that I did a while back about um, SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, and the the big radio telescope that the Chinese are building. And there was an article in The Atlantic, and I put it up on the blog. And in the article, they mentioned um, some Chinese science fiction that's been a big hit, big hit in the West. The first kind of popular novel, I think, from China that has been picked up in the United States and Europe, in translation, of course.
but it's called The Three-Body Problem. And the author is Shishin Lu. That's C-I-X-I-N, second word, Lu, L-I-U. And I got to tell you, I don't read a lot of novels, but this was a hoot. I like this one. And it's got a lot of radio in it. It's, it's a novel in a certain sense that begins with radio astronomy, SETI. It's got a little bit of Morse code in it. It's got some advanced technology, uh, you know, radio astronomy, all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I strongly recommend it. It's part of a trilogy. I only read the first one. I might take a look at the others, but the first one was really good, and I think you'd like it. So, Three Body Problem by Shi Xin Lu. Um, Armand down there in Richmond has already gone through the whole trilogy. He's pretty hardcore. Ah. And, uh, but it's fun also. It's fun because even though they, they do a really good job at the translation, you, you do get the sense that you're reading something written in another country, another society, which makes it, makes it interesting. They've got a different, slightly different approach to the, to the novel. But really good stuff, so I recommend The Three-Body Problem by Shishin Lu. What else going on, Pete? Anything else to mention here? I was going to talk about Straight Key Night. Were you active on Straight Key Night? Ah! <laughs> Come on! <laughs> you got to see his face. It's like asking him, did he go out and swat mosquitoes on field day? No! Yeah. <laughs> I Well, I did. You know, I did because I respect tradition, Okay. And I, I also, you know, I feel, <laughs> but, but also, you know, I, I feel that it's, it's an opportunity for us Luddites to fly our flag high. 1D. Huh? 1D, 1D. Luddite with 1D. D. Those are the true Luddites, the correct yeah. spelling, 1D, thank you. Yes, the, um, the curmudgeon retro tech, you know, yesterday's technology for today, Luddite convention, on New Year's Eve, I participated in it once again. I fired up my HT37 and my Drake 2B. I must say the H2, HT37 was wheezing a bit. It's getting on. Not something wrong in there. I don't know. Maybe one of the one. Maybe one of the 6146 is getting soft. But anyway, this this caused me to crank it down to about five watts. So it was a QRP event for me. Again, the other the other objective. I have to maintain my QRP status. It's sort of like in the old days of the Olympics, you maintain your amateur status. He's, Who told he's, you that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who fed didn't, you that didn't line? You, didn't you read the fine print when they brought you into the QRP Hall of Fame? It <laughs> no. said that every once in a while you have to actually do something QRP-ish. <laughs> Crap. <laughs> he's going to get expelled, man. I'm telling you, he's going to get expelled. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, so I got on there on straight key night with my wheezing HT37. The Drake 2B was pulling, was doing as it always does. And I was really pleased because it was like, you know, like, I think it was Leo DeRocha said, it was like, it was like deja vu all over again. I, I worked, um, W1PID gym up there in New England. And I quickly checked my electronic logbook. And I had worked gym exactly one year <laughs> earlier yeah, on straight key night. So yeah. it's like an annual thing. And, yeah. and he, he is a very active kind of uh, mountain topping uh, from the trail uh, portable QRP. Or he's also kind of a collaborator with um, Michael Rainey. I'm some of Michael's more oh. exotic, you know, you know, audio powered QRP across the Atlantic kind of adventures. 
And often when Mike and Michael reports on stations who heard his, you know, microwatt transmitter with bed springs for an antenna kind of experiments. Inverted L. Yeah, he often he often talks to about Jim and Jim picked him up. So it was a real it was a real fun thing to to talk to Jim again. We had a brief contact on on 40 meters. Actually, it was a couple hours before straight key night commenced. But but who cares? It was it was we were both sort of getting ready for the event. Worked a bunch of other stations, and we had my my nephew Jeffrey up from Miami. Jeffrey is another guy who's who's showing remarkable interest in ham radio, and he just thought that the whole Morse code thing was was really cool. So I, you have I, S- Sebastian, John Henry, and and, and, and now and Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Yeah, and John yeah. Hen- John Henry is here this week. He was in the shack last night. We made a CW contact here with John oh, Henry. Wow! And he's going to come back this afternoon, and I'm going to take him over to the bench and teach him how to solder. Oh, pretty cool. Start imp- by f- first. Start first by soldering your fingers together. <laughs> no, 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 no. First lesson: <laughs> grab the proper end of the soldering iron. <laughs> yes. and once you get past that, you're okay. And so, yeah. hope, well, we'll, 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 I think it'll be it'll be fine. But then I worked a bunch of other stations. We make, we worked a, a station on forty sideband later in the day with with uh, with Jeffrey. So it was a good, a real good straight uh, key night and and, uh, and and a good good to establish contact with with Jim W1PID again. Um, oh, hey, Pete, I'm sure you saw these things. This is something we should talk about because I think people should know more about it. I'd like to hear your reactions. But we had two homebrew luminaries on the QSO Today show with our friend Eric Guth over there in, in Israel. First, I guess we better talk about Jeff Dam. This was like a real treat. You know, I, I like, you know, it's, it's like ham radio. Some stuff you're interested in and some stuff you're not. And if Eric's talking to some guy who's interested in in contesting or something like that it's just not my cup of tea but that's fine you know later on then but then eric always comes around and he gets somebody who's right in our wheelhouse you know yeah and jeff dam is as good as you can get in this area and so is steve murphy but jeff's well, jeff came up first and i i just kept some notes on some of the things that jeff did and then you know what i did when i knew we were going to talk about him so i said well i better go through and mark the most important things that jeff said the problem is I started marking almost all of them. They're all the most important things Jeff said. So I'll try to go through it kind of quickly because we don't have all day, you know. He's but, the um, original Mr. Roadkill. Road, that's right. That's his email address. That's right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's it. He may have given us this term. He started out, and, and I know that Grayson and others will cringe when we, we, we recount this, but he talks about his decision to go solid state. It was a, a decision that came to him literally in a flash. The flash came from an undischarged 600-volt electrolytic capacitor <laughs> <laughs> that he managed to get across while he was troubleshooting some tube-type rig. It threw him across the room. Yeah. And when he came to, uh, he realized that it was time to go solid-state 12 volts. I'm with you, Jeff. I, you know, I didn't get the jolt myself, but I kind of saw it coming. And around the time my kids were born when it became more necessary for me to stick around. Okay, I said no more of that. So I made the same switch. He mentioned a, a, a topology for rigs, an architecture for rigs, that I don't think we've explored here, Dr. Giuliano. I don't know if you... I bet, I bet you you built one of these. Let me. I'm going to predict Pete built at least one of these. 1,700 uh, kilohertz IF with a 5 megahertz VFO for an 80 and 40 meter receiver. Yes. Done it? Yes. <laughs> Do you like it? 
it was okay. And and the reason was I had a sixteen hundred and fifty kilohertz crystal filter out of a Helicrafters. Oh man, excellent. All right, good. So I'm well, I'm glad you I'm glad you tried it. All right, I, I I'm I'm going to give that try, a try someday. Listen, Jeff said that he learned the ugly soldering technique from Wes Hayward. That's pretty good. That's that's pretty good pedigree. You know, if you if somebody says, hey, you know, uh, Jeff, why are you doing it that way? You just say, hey, hey, back off, man. I learned from the master. I learned from Wes. I was looking, you know, I was in a museum. Well, it's kind of a museum that I work in, but they uh, they were they had this thing about. Um, the Air Force General Hap Arnold. And I looked up in the, on the plaque about him. I'm reading the plaque about him. And he, he was taught to fly by Orville and Wilbur Wright. There you go. There you go, man. <laughs> How can you argue with that? Anybody yeah. questions your technique, you say, hey, hey, hey. Orville told me to do it this way, okay? Yeah, yeah, So shut yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The second thing he said, oh, man, I like this about Jeff. He talked about how he searched. He doesn't like to do metal work. He doesn't like to do cabinet work. He doesn't like socketry, as George Dobbs would put it. No socketry or cabinetry for Jeff. So he searches for old commercial gear to gut and to use as homes for his new homebrew solid-state gear. The enclosures, panels, and controls are all very useful. It's a great way to avoid metal work. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jeff. That's why These they look re- like roadkill. <laughs> yeah, well, they well no, but they no. The, the, what he points out is they re, they continue to look like boat anchors. Yeah, and, they, and then people write to him and say, "Oh, beautiful boat anchor rig." Yeah, I had one of those back in 1937. No, 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 no. That's just a box. <laughs> Again, I sympathize. You know, I have sacrificed many uh, ooh, Benton Harbor lunchboxes for the same reason. And look, how many QF1s have I killed here? I don't know. Uh, it's, it's sad. I know it, it pains me to, to admit it. We'll talk about this a little bit more because I found somebody else who's guilty of the same crimes against, not humanity, but ham radio. Okay, here's something that came up when Jeff was talking, and Eric asked him a good question. What do you? What stage do you build first? And, you know, we... It's debatable which. A lot of guys like... A lot of guys are in your camp. They like to build the audio amplifier first. But Jeff, he came down the same way I did, and he said he wants to. He likes to build the oscillator first. But he understands. He said they, they, the two of them talk. They understand completely your your audio first approach, you know. And it's just a matter of you know six of one half does the other. But then he went on and he he, ta- he talked about something that we've been talking about. How one of the great ways when you finish the AF stage to test it, just <laughs> put your put your finger on the input. If you hear it go buzz, yeah, boom. It works. You're good. On to the next stage. <laughs> Jeff emphasized always one stage at a time. Here's something interesting he said. You know, we've got to keep our minds open to other ideas. And he is making use of the Osh Park board factory out there where you could send them uh, a, uh, the, what kind of the Gerber file, and they produce the board for you. And then, then he, he also wants to do where he, well, he, he, he tries to do a practice where he, he develops a number of, of stages that he he knows works well for him. They all think that they have common 50 ohm inputs, and then he can use the modules and just move them around. But he does transition to the Oshpark boards for these kinds of uh, modules, which I found interesting. He said something that Grayson talked to us about, that we shouldn't fear, and I say this to you, Mr. SI5351 Rotary Encoder, do not fear 
the disappearance of air variable capacitors. He said that he, Jeff Dam said that he bought, quote, cubic feet of air variables and has them at his location. Um, a lifetime stash of air variables. This is dedication to the analog cause. All right, Grayson, Grayson made the same point. He said, you know, we're, we're fretting about air variables, but there's a lot of them out there. Um, he, uh, let's see, oh, and and, and along the same lines, this might explain the cubic feet of air variables. He's hesitant about chips. He's got a kind of a queasy feeling about the little black mystery boxes that you and your digital friends are so enamored with, Pete. He's Pete's silent. He's looking at me. He's staring daggers <laughs> through me right now. You know, that's, I, I happen to know something about Jeff. That sounds kind of weird. <laughs> well, he said he's hesitant. He said he's an analog guy. Um, and he said that he talked a little bit about going into some of the microcontrollers. And he said it would have been a huge time sink. He repeated he's an analog guy. All right. Um, listen, here's another thing that's interesting. He was thinking about what was and what should have been his section of the reprint, or I guess the original version of, 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 of experimental methods in RF design. So this might be the lost chapter, you know? We'll call it the lost chapter, the Jeff Dam chapter. It's like one of those lost books of, of you know, the Bible or something, you know? The lost chapter of EMRFD. This may require the solder smoke lobbying campaign to get that thing somehow into print. Go for it, Jeff, please. We're with you. Let us know if you need some support. Um, anyway, that, that's was Jeff Dams. And then we had Steve Murphy in 8MM. Man, it, it, what a great picture of Steve, too. I, like yeah, you. Yeah. I, I, I had a completely different view of what Steve Murphy looked like. <laughs> you know, we've been corresponding with Steve Murphy for yeah. years. But what yeah. I was curious about, and I said, when, when I saw that he was being interviewed, his picture kind of matched what I thought. I wasn't surprised by that. But then I said to myself, before I, I hit the, the play button, I said, what is he going to sound like? Is his voice going to be what I expected? And I must say, it was. I, I kind of mentally predicted his voice. Very nice voice and a very friendly. Very friendly. The whole, the whole His whole interview was friendly, very upbeat. Great story. Started as a shortwave listener. I told him that's a fine radio pedigree. Many of us started in the same area. He had an R390A at age 16. He was destined for greatness right there. Well, do you ever hear the story about his when he first got out of school? He had a call S line, and and he he slept on a uh, on a lounge chair. I mean, it, that was his furnished apartment, but he had an S line. <laughs> oh, that's right. That was a long time ago. That's yeah. right. That's the oh man. Yeah. All right. He had a fork and a knife. Oh, but he had the Collins S line, and he was a happy man. Life yeah. was complete. <laughs> then he talked about how his building technique is a combination of Manhattan and ugly. Yeah. We all are. We all do that. Sometimes you're in Manhattan and sometimes you're going ugly. I want to invent the term here right now. Brace yourself. Mugly. Mugly. There you go. I love it. <laughs> A new term is... Add that to lexicon, Steve Silverman. Put it on the list. Steve Murphy also... And I, I kind of cringed. I heard this coming because he was talking about... I think he was talking about straight key night. Yeah, he was. He was talking about straight key night and how sometimes he gets up... He, he fires up a 6L6 transmitter. Okay. And he said... And then he said something like... I heard it coming. I cringed. He said, 
and I use a receiver that is really not quite up to the task. And I say, oh, God, no, don't tell me. Yes, <laughs> tell them what you think. What do you S38. predict? S thirty eight. S thirty eight E. E for extra difficult. Yeah. God, Steve. Look, life is short, old man. Don't stop torturing yourself with that thing. Get rid of it. Put it on the curb. Don't don't give it to somebody else because then you'll just pass on the pain to a a new set of victims. These things need to be exterminated. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to get some hate mail for that. I'm sorry. Eric, This I got I to kick out of this. Eric asked Steve who Papa Legba is. <laughs> <laughs> Years from now, the uh, anthropologists are going to be trying to discover who this Papa Legba guy was. Well, I know where he came from. I got him from W9SCH, Rocky. And, I got, and Rocky talked about him in an in an issue of Sprat magazine. And I kind of got it from the context, but I did look it up. And there, there's some kind of voodoo origin to this whole thing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And you know that I don't know if you know this, but Steve, as a result of this, on one of his sites, the website is 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 chickenkiller.com. <laughs> <laughs> and then Eric, you know, he always asked for what advice that you have for new hams, and he said, you know, he 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 counseled Get this. Moderation. <laughs> what? Have you seen what we do? Have you seen these these rooms that we work out of, these shacks? I mean, it's an admirable uh, you know, thought there, Steve, but, but my, my first response was, ha, good luck with that. Finally, he had a phrase that I thought was really great, kind of captures the whole thing. He called what we have here, I guess the amateur frequencies, an electromagnetic playground where failure has no consequences. Beautiful stuff. Beautiful sentiment. Thanks to Eric. Thanks to Steve. Thanks to Jeff Dam. Very, very nice. All right. So where are we, where are we now? We went through straight key night. I, I just wanted to mention that uh, I ran across Jeff when I lived in the Pacific Northwest. And uh, he and I were emailing. And I, um, I told him I had this, uh, it was like a National Velvet Vervier drive. And I said, I got a couple around here. And I sent it to him. And uh, back in the mail was this box of parts. These are really hard-to-find parts. And, and I still have it. And every once in a while, I said, oh, oh, I know where. <laughs> I know where. So, I mean, he has an extent. And, and he went and picked things. Like, you'd say, man, I'd give my eye teeth for one of those. And then about a year ago, uh, I was on 40 meters, and this guy called me. It was him. Oh, it was man. Jeff. It was Jeff, and he was running a, a homebrew 40-watt single sideband transceiver uh, up in, and it was not in, or he lives in Oregon. He was not in Oregon. It was evidently in Montana or someplace like that. He, ha he has a second home up there, and he was off-grid. So wow. everything was battery-powered, you know. Just no, and he's into, cool. into Neanderthal kind of caveman yeah. kind of uh, you know, living techniques in the woods. He, he talked about his parts, and he talks about, Lately, he, he that one of his favorite part sorts is, is eBay. He goes on to eBay, yeah. and people are selling lots of parts or, or small numbers yeah. of parts and everything else. By the way, you sent me a couple National Velvet Verniers that I have stashed away for yeah. a, a project here in the future. I want to thank you again for that. Were you going to say something else? Uh, I was just going to say, it was kind of curious you made the comment about not liking ICs. He's he's one of the founders of a company called TriQuint <laughs> that make <laughs> microwave monolithic integrated circuits. <laughs> Jeff Dam. 
See, so yeah, right. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, that's Pete. right. He, he knows. He, he knows. does. Um, let's see. All right. Um, oh, um, we were talking about. We were just talking about kind of confessing, or um, to you know, killing off old boat anchor radios. And I, I, I just whenever we get ready for one of these shows, I, I, I like to just randomly pull out an electric radio because this thing is such a source of wisdom. I gave a handful of them to, to John Henry. I'm going to send you out a few more. But um, I, I, this thing, I, I, I opened it up, and it was like the radio gods were guiding me, all right? Because I randomly select, this is number 221, October 2007, Electric Radio, celebrating the bygone era. And I opened it up, and the first article is by Dave Gordon Smith, G3 UUR. He shows up, man. Yeah, the technique for crystal characterization yeah, guy, yeah, right? Yeah, This is really cool, too, because we don't get a lot of uh, British contributions to electric radio, but uh, but but Dave was very active and a, a prolific uh, contributor here. But listen to this. The title of the article, Confessions of an Unredeemable Radio Junkie. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. I'm going to read you the opening paragraphs. I'm we could write leave. that. We could write that. <laughs> oh, I know. We all could. Yes. Yeah. Steve, Jeff, all of us. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to read you just the opening paragraphs, and I'm going to leave everybody on the edge of their seats. And in future episodes, we will give you the conclusion of this exciting story. Dave writes, my conscience started to display all the prickly symptoms of an acute attack of guilt as I read Bob Sullivan's article on restoring a Collins KW-1 in the July 2006 issue of Electric Radio. When I saw how few of these transmitters had been produced, I felt compelled to confess my guilty secret. Guilty secret. Was what I'd done so very much worse than converting a BC-458 into a DSB transmitter? Or stripping down a TCS for parts? On reflection, I felt that perhaps it was. There were worse things I could have done, of course. But there was no excuse for what I actually did. Wow, this is like, you know, The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe. Confessions are supposed to be good for the soul, or so we're told. And as a born-again enthusiast for the old tube gear, I have come—I have to come clean. But now you're probably pretty pretty puzzled by my ramblings, so I'd better begin at the beginning. And with that, I close the book. It sounds pretty bad, man. It's a lot of guilt. He he, he didn't he didn't part strip his one did he oh, it's, uh, I don't know man we have to stand by stay tuned in a future yeah. episode you will find out what Dave G3UUR did to a very important apparently uh, boat anchor rig hey listen we gotta grouse a little bit we, we grouse here on the show from time to time about things that we hear people saying on the radio Things that people say to us when we talk about our home gear, brew gear. Pete, you're you're worse than I do. Pete, sometimes I don't know if you guys remember like the like the the movie The Godfather, Godfather One, when Sonny finds out that his no good brother in law has you know beat his, beaten up his sister again. No, he bends his index finger 
and he takes it, he puts it in his head, and, and, and he bites it. And, you know, it's just very, very good Italian hand and arm signal, you know, because what he's doing is he's trying to inflict pain to cope with the greater pain that is bouncing around inside his pain. head. So you got to, you got to, you got anyway, to, that's what he was doing. But Pete, Pete does this from time to time when this subject comes up. But I want to share with you guys a tale of woe, a tale of disrespect that came to me from across the Atlantic Ocean. There I was on 17 meters with my Moxon antenna, my homebrew rig. I've been on 17 a lot lately. It's been, it's been pretty good shape during the day. I got the thing aimed up into the northeast, and sure enough, here's a guy on uh, on 40 from the Netherlands. He's booming in, right? And then I call him, and he says, "Wow, you're booming in here! Beautiful signal, really great, powerful, you know." S9 plus whatever, booming in, shaking Great audio. Great, great everything's audio. great. What are you running over there, Bill? He says, in Dutch accent. So I tell him, homebrew, Bidex rig, going up to uh, CCI uh, audio amplifier, going up to a Moxon antenna, and uh, real basic stuff here. And there, I, I turn it back over to him, and there's a pause. You could tell that he's somehow disturbed by what i just told him and then he said well it's amazing that you're coming in here so well it must be the propagation (laughs) in other words the home brewing is not the explanation the rig is not the explanation it's got to be something else so it must be the propagation Wow. Enough said. It's part of the I would build that thing too if I had more time kind of thing. But we don't want to we don't want to grouse too much. Anyway, hey, something else I heard on the air on the, on the ham bands. And this this I found was almost equally said, but in the same sort of vein. Guys were on they were talking about their fondness for the 60 meter band, 60, the 5 megahertz band. This kind of weird little sort of channelized band that we have. And I was playing with it a year or so ago. I still have ambitions to get back on there because I, I like it. And it, it's useful and it's underutilized. Even though there's only these five channels. Last I checked, we were supposed to get more frequencies. I, didn't, I haven't caught up with that. They, they've been authorized, but not authorized in the United States. Yeah, well, I think we're going to get them eventually. So it's, there, there's some, some new stuff coming. Not not with Ajit Pai because he wants to charge us for it. You know, oh, Mr. Well. FCC Commissioner. Oh, well. God. Oh. Anyway, that neutrality it, guy. He, he yeah, wants okay. to charge us now, so we can get on sixty meters, right? <laughs> you just—is that true? Yeah. <laughs> really? I'm start a rumor here. <laughs> <laughs> it all started here. You heard it here first. Um, but the guys were talking about sixty meters, and one guy was saying to the other that how much he likes sixty meters, but how very often, even when he knows the band is open, he'll get up there and all five channels are empty, and nobody responds to CQ. And the other guy said, "Well, why is that?" And he said, I think, and I think this guy is right. He goes, I think many hams these days are put off by the 100-watt limit. So there's a 100-watt limit on 60, so no linears. So many hams have kind of come to believe that life is impossible below the 1-kilowatt level, that when they're told that they can only operate on 60 meters without a linear, their response is, the heck with that can't be done 
I mean, I guess this is good news and bad news because it leaves that frequency space open to us with more enlightened views of the uh, the power issue. But I intend to to get. I have I have plans for an antenna that's going to go up that's going to put me on 60 with a bigger signal. So anyway, I'm going to going to do that. But Pete, we have to talk about benches now. Going to the benches, the bench portion, and you've got you've been much more active. So you go first. You talk about oh, what you're doing. Okay. All right. And I, what I have here in my notes that you should talk about in just in two general categories. First, your your experiences, your adventures with the micro X, which I know you've been doing some great work there. But then more important, your work with the K1 BQT IC transceiver, and especially the vector board building technique. Enlighten us, Dr. Giuliano. Okay. Well, uh, our last podcast, uh, Bill and I mentioned that we got an early Christmas present. Uh, Farhan sent us the MicroBitX, and uh, at the time we had our last podcast, I had ordered a case for it. And uh, since that time, I actually installed the MicroBitX in the case, and uh, I made a couple of uh, modifications and changes, which I put up on the uh, – well, it's actually on the BitX40 hacks. I had contacted uh, Farhan and said, what do you want me to do with this? And he said, go ahead and do it. Let me give you my overall impression. Spend the money and get one. Spend the money and get one. If you're looking for an all-band rig that has a lot of features and functionality, uh, it's hard to beat. I mean, the the box arrives with the board built. You don't you don't have to. The only soldering you have to do is the controls, and that that includes uh, installing the encoder, uh, the volume control, and there's three uh, jacks. Uh, you have um, a microphone jack, headphone jack, or speaker jack, and and the CW key. And then you have to solder in the power uh, connector, which is furnished, and uh, the antenna connector, which is furnished. So, um, I mean, they're pre-wired. <laughs> All you really need to do is plug them into the board and then make the connection not on the board side. Uh, so, you don't have to worry about screwing anything up. You just make the connections on the other end. So, uh, um, if you're contemplating putting them in the case, some guys are building 3D printer cases. Um a really good idea is to get a case that is at least two and a half inches high because the way that the microbitics is constructed is the Raduino assembly plugs into the board and then the display plugs into that Raduino assembly. And and if you have something that's not two and a half inches high, you're going to have a problem because it's going to stick out of the top of the case. So you so you have to have to be sure that you have enough uh, vertical height. I mean, you can be – the board is like five and a half, six inches on the side. So uh, I used a chassis. Uh, I bought a chassis, a butt chassis that was uh, eight by 12 and uh, two and a half inches high, and it worked out very, very well. Now, I made a, I had made three hacks, three BitX hacks. And the first uh, hack that I made, which is documented on the BitX uh hacks page is uh, I put a functionality in there so you can key a linear. I mean, who operates QRP? I mean, who, who operates at 10, 10 True lines? radio amateurs, Pete. The, 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 the true, the elite who, of the elite. Who, who, who does that? So one hack documents, and there's photographs in there, how you can do it, and having the bigger chassis uh, enables us. Actually, it uses a, uh, a read relay. And uh, so it's you're your isolated, and, and it has some isolating diodes in there, so you don't interfere with anything on the board. 
And the thing that's nice about this is it's fully reversible. If you don't want to do that, you you know, you can change it. So that was hack number one. Hack number two is the cool blue display. I mean, the oh, C6 green <laughs> LCD that you get that comes standard with a kit. I mean, it works fine, but I said... I can't put up with that crap. So I have a blue LCD with a, with a white white lettering. You know, he's he, he's the man's an artist. Not only is he a musician, you know, he you know he does most of our so I wouldn't be surprised if he was in on that Doctor Hook thing. But <laughs> but he's also got a, an aesthetic sense that is just unsurpassed in Hamrio. This is the man who brought us a new an entirely new color, Giuliano. Yeah, right? Giuliano. And now and and Giuliano blue. Yeah, yeah. The blue display makes a world of difference, and uh, so that that is something I put in. Now, accidentally, I found this hack, and I, I want to share a little bit about the the microbitx reflector. I, I don't look at it anymore, but th this stand by grousing grousing alert. Grousing, yeah. Beep beep grousing alert. <laughs> what what you get with the kit? You get the power connector, and you get the mating plug to it. That comes mm -hmm. standard with the kit. With the BitX40 kit that I bought, you actually got the mating power connector and the plug that goes in there, but you also got an inline fuse assembly. So I built a cable with the inline fuse assembly, and I was anxious to get the micro BitX on the air. So I said, oh, geez, i got to build another cable. And I said, oh, no. I, I just grabbed the cable off the BitX40 and plugged it in there, and it had an inline fuse. <clears throat> and I found, thank God I did that <laughs> because... There is no overcurrent protection on the IRF 510s. There, there's no fullback uh, current sensing and reduce the power so that you don't smoke the IRF 510s. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that you got to recognize that. And so um, what had happened was I was trying to put it back, put it on 80 meters, and I have a 40-meter uh, droopy dipole, but I should tell you that the dipole is 98 feet long. And the reason it's 98 feet long, it's three half wavelengths on 20. And uh, I just have an antenna tuner in the line, and I make it look like 40 meters, and I can also make it look like 75 meters. So in the pro I had forgotten where the settings were, and so I, I put it in CW, and I'm kind of cranking and, and cranking and trying to get the SWR down, and all of a sudden, the radio goes dead. Blow the fuse. Blow the fuse. Better than so, blowing the, the finals. Yeah. Now, there's another issue because – a far hand put reverse voltage protection that right across the power connector is a diode. And his say, statement is this protects your reverse voltage. And he said, the worst case is you burn the diode. Well, that's not very good. So, so the external fuse serves two purposes. One, if you get the reverse voltage, you're going to blow the fuse. Right. And two, an overcurrent, if you're drawing too much current because of the SWR conditions, I mean, that, those IR510s will keep cranking away until you smoke them. So Excellent I, point. So I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big big on the diode to the, to the yeah. the, and then with, with a fuse before it, but yeah. I'm mostly just thinking about reverse polarity, but you're right. If you get the fuse at the, at the proper amperage, you're protecting the finals, too. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. So, so I put... I put that in there, and I found I blew a, a – it was like a – I think it was a 2-amp fuse, and so I put another 2-amp in there. And I put that hack in there, and I said, look, do this not so much for the reverse voltage protection as to protect the finals. Because I went back and looked at the schematic and verified that what I was saying is true. But I, let me ask – let me guess. Some people out there 
didn't like it, and they didn't like it in a discourteous way. Absolutely. And then they got to arguing. Someone says, well, I read on the BitX reflector that the IR-510s are bulletproof, and you don't have to worry about SWR. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a whole bunch of dead ones here that I've smoked, you know. I, I well, you can you, I got a I, I got the imprint of an IRF five ten yeah, burned into my thumb because I was thinking, hey, I wonder if it's hot. And then then they started finding fault with the size of the fuse. The guy says, well, when I looked at that, the max peak current is one point three amps. Why do you have a two amp fuse in there? So I uh, <laughs> I, I I look at their call signs. These are amateur extras. These are amateur extras that sent in a box talk and got a license. And and I got to tell you, if you're not going to, if you're not going to, you know, and then you speak with such authority, you know, like, I don't, they're bulletproof. You don't need to do that. So I said, you know, I'm done. You know what part I, I, of this is? Part of it is, unfortunately, and I, I was talking to my nephew Jeffrey about it. This is an intrusion of kind of the internet flame war culture into reflectors that are about ham radio and you get a real culture clash because i was explaining to young jeffrey i said you know I, I showed him the amateur's code right there in the in the handbook and i said yeah. there's a thing here there's a spirit of cooperation you help the other guy out you send people parts and without even priming him jeffrey looked up at me and he's jeffrey's about 17 he looked up he goes wow that's like the opposite of the internet and i said exactly yeah yeah but, but go ahead yeah well the the thing is is that i'm just trying to share something to protect your finals and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a bunch of crap about it. So I, I said, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with that. But anyway, the uh, the turning on the linear, the size of the case, uh, the blue display. And by the way, that's just a, uh, what I did with uh, with mine is I bought these jumper wires that have a male plug on one end and a female on the other end. So you can mount the LCD display because he's not using I2C. You have to be less concerned about addresses. I mean, sometimes when you put use an I2C backpack, if you don't know the correct I2C to address, you you may not. He he's wiring direct now. I guess I have a question in my mind about why you'd chew up all those pins. Why why you would use six or eight wires when you could do it with four? But that's okay. What's the noise situation? Is it is it less noisy? Do you think with I, without the I2C? I, I doubt it. Uh, uh, it's yeah, not an yeah. OLED, so it's not. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's just a standard L, uh, I2C, a uh, standard LCD. Now there is one uh, thing that I don't particularly like about the MicroBitX, and I'm sure guys are going to get into the software. Um, first off, let me talk a little bit about the tuning. <clears throat> um, it has a variable rate tuning, <laughs> so it senses how fast you're spinning the knob. And if you spin that knob pretty fast, uh, it, it's going to jump. It jumps significant frequencies. Like it, it, it's rate tuning. If you move, if you move the knob fast, you'll jump megahertz. <laughs> it, 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 and so with, I suffer from FFS, fat finger syndrome. So, so <laughs> you got to be real. I mean, you got to grab this real careful. And the step, the average step tuning rate is 50 hertz, which is a weird rate. And I got to tell you, if you're on if you're on 40 meters and you have a SDR police, when the guy tells you you're 20 hertz off, you're you're never going to be able to satisfy that guy. <laughs> I mean, it's the, like a it's like a capital crime. Yeah, you know, you, you the most you can move the the smallest increment you can move is 10 hertz. So you'd have to go in there and 
diddle with his software and and like most of the stuff that I built uh, the step button is you can pick your tune rates. You can use uh, my my default is usually a hundred hertz, and then I can tune down to her- ten. So you know, if I, you know 10, I use uh, my my default rate on my Digitia is one kilohertz. kilohertz. Uh, there you go. Cause and then I I calibrate it so it's at exactly one kilohertz, and then nobody yells at me about being on the wrong frequency. So there's some uh, there's some high-powered software guys that are diddling with the software. Uh, W-A-T-E-E, uh, Jack, uh, mm-hmm. he's, he's very knowledgeable in this, and he's written quite a few books. And so he's, he's trying to guide the effort. And there's some software changes in there. And, and uh, when you push the encoder button, uh, it, it's, you'll love this, Bill. It's the menus. <laughs> you get all the menus. <laughs> menus are for? Restaurants. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you get the menus. You you have an A and B VFO. Um, you do have now. There's one thing I haven't totally figured out. I've, I've seen some stuff in the reflectors. Uh, mine is off frequency. It's off frequency that uh, what where you're copying people. It's 200 hertz off. Now I know how to fix that problem uh, with rigs that I built. You can do the calibration offset correction offset. For the SI5351, uh, and, you know, Farhan has said, you know, if you blow things, you just go back and download the base copy. So I think they're they're upgrading the, the software. I've seen some, some stuff in there. Now, a couple of interesting things. Uh, there's a new uh, audio chip. It's the uh, 2848. And as a matter of fact, if you look at the latest issue of Sprat, where you've got a rig on the cover, Tony Fishpole covers this new audio chip and uh people are finding that some people have blown that chip in in the the microbitics they're getting squealing sounds and let me tell you the clever way in which they generate cw they actually create uh, a feedback oscillator audio oscillator that takes one of the stages the pre-stage to this audio chip and they generate, a, they generate an audio tone. It's like a phase shift oscillator. So that's what generates the CW tone. And uh, if you hit the CW key, that's what <clears throat> you're, you're actually transmitting audio. Instead of trying to do it on an RF, they're pumping an audio signal through the balance modulator. And it might be that when some guys do something in that feedback loop, they're actually pumping something into the chip. I've seen a couple of comments that people say, Mm, geez, I, uh, you know, I tried to do this, and the next thing I know, I got bad audio on receive and bad audio on transmit. So, I think that's something that's probably going to be looked at. But if you look at the schematic, this is how they generate CW: is it using an audio tone that they're pumping into the balance modulator and this uh, feedback oscillator. But high marks. Uh, I mean, hats off to them. Um, they uh, they have auto sensing as you change the frequency it puts the right banks of filters in there <laughs> so it, it's Man. reading the filters and says okay switch that bank of uh, relays and i've made some contacts uh on uh, 40 meters and 20 meters i've run 600 watts <laughs> off the micrometics <laughs> so just just for experimental just, purposes yes, of course and, and right. you got got nice audio reports the only thing that like i said is a 50 hertz that's a personal thing uh, I wish there would have been a menu selection. I mean, if he's got menus, one of the things ought to be, okay, pick pick the step tuning rate that you like. I'd, it's just – and the variable tuning 
is incompatible with my FFS. I mean, my fat fingers, I, I, you know, try as I might, I'll, I'll, I, I want to inch it onto something. And next thing you know, I'm 200 hertz away. And, and I didn't want to be 200 hertz away. You know, I, I just want to make a small increment. That, that's a personal problem, but something I've solved in what I do. But anyway, hi, Marks. Okay, shifting to the K1BQT. <clears throat> K1BQT, Rick Littlefield. Uh, came up with this project in 1985 in Ham Radio, which at the time was the, which I consider one of the premier homebrew magazines. You open up Ham Radio, they had projects you could build, real projects. And on the front cover of the November 1985 is a 75-meter transceiver. It uses mostly integrated circuits. Uh, two, two specific ones are the MC1496, which you can still buy, which is a double-balanced mixer came up from Motorola, but others make it. And another Motorola chip is the 1350, which is an IF chip. I built that. Uh, I uh, actually had it working on the air. I had a cool LCD display on it. Uh, I had a VFO stabilizer from EI9GQ. A friend of mine um, kind of lost his job and had to sell all his ham station was off the air. So I said, here, this will at least you know, get you on the air, you can do some listening, what have you. And so I, I decided, hmm, how to build another one of those. So the current blog post uh, deals with uh, build, building this trans transceiver, but putting some update. And the chief method of construction is a little different than I normally use, is single-sided copper vector board. So I Fascinating. Uh, I was reading about that this morning. Put a couple posts in. Uh, you can get this board from, um, matter of fact, somebody found an 8 eight by 17 and a half sheet, 17 and a half inch seat. That's a lot of area on eBay for about 30 bucks. Um, you can get the uh, normal four and a half by 17. And I put the reference, a link on there. You get that from DigiKey. It's about uh, 28 bucks. But if you use it carefully, you can build three rigs out of it. So, um, you know, you just, have, you just don't want to be willy-nilly. The beauty of the... Um, <clears throat> of the single-sided copper vector board, the top is a ground plane. So if you have to make a ground connection, just put it through the hole and solder it, you know, boom. And everything is 10th in spacing. So you can, uh, you know, put plug sockets in there. I know you don't like to use sockets. You can put sockets in there. You can put the ICs in there and just, you know, solder away. Uh, I also show how you... No, I, I, li I like the sockets for ICs because I have a bad <laughs> tendency to solder them in upside down. And it's much, at that point, you say, wow, I wish I had a socket. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing, as I showed on the on the blog, how you could use this for surface mount because everything is a tenth inch and all you got to do is connect the dots, uh, the area you want, take an exacto knife and a steel rule and just cut the copper away and... I show some examples where you can mount two N3904s or BF991s. So it works very, very well for that. And I have several rigs that have that. that matter of fact, my 17-meter rig that's that's on the uh, on the blog was, was built that way. So it works really, really well. Hey, Pete, i got to ask you something. I was reading about this at this point in your blog where you're talking about the, the vector board, which I think is really cool, by the way. I'm, so I'm only just kidding you here. But at one point, you, you talk about the, the problem of having – you know, oil from your hands yeah. getting getting on the copper. And uh, Dr. Giuliano at this point recommends the possibility of using rubber surgical gloves while soldering. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. Listen, yes. Wait, wait, wait. It's, this is the way we're going. There are guys using microscopes, right? Yeah. And so 
pretty soon you're going to see the image of the ham shack and it's going to look like an operating room. The guy's going to be sitting there wearing masks yeah. and, you know, microphone, microscope glasses, and surgical gloves. And, you know, the you're, you're, going to, you're going to be looking over. There'll be a nurse in the room. Soldering iron, please. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, die cutters. Hey, yes. Uh, screwdriver. Remote robotics. Remote Holy robotics. Holy man. You could, so be on, not, you could be on vacation and, and have the robots <laughs> soldering your You know, I, I, but, but listen, I, I remember I tried this because I looked, I watched on one of those car guy shows. They were yeah. using these kind of orange gloves. But then I thought about it and I said, man, those th- that, that rubber's going to melt if I hit it with the soldering iron. And, and that's going <laughs> to, yeah, that's not going to be good. But I thought that was interesting. But no, but the whole vector board thing, really, really very cool. And I, you got some great pictures on it and how you, you wire it from below and how you avoid. How you minimize the number of overlaps. So, really, really cool. All right. Yeah, really, really good. And uh, by the way, I uploaded, just uploaded a video yesterday of the SBE 34, the Sideband Engineers 34, SBE 34. I I bought one about a year ago for peanuts. I mean, the most cost was in the shipping. And I actually got that thing working. But But there's also an SBE 33, right? Yeah, preceded that, yes. All right, because we 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 got, we got a little bit about, about that. Yeah. We're going to talk about that a little bit in the uh, in the mailbag. But it's the SBE thirty four tube type. It's it's almost the same architecture, but it solves some of the problems. The SBE thirty three was a widowmaker, <laughs> like the S like the S thirty eight E. Oh, an AC DC supply. Yeah, it it took the line voltage and voltage quadruple the to get four hundred fifty volts on the plates. And you had a line cord, and it has a neon glow tube in the back, and any two. And if you got the cord in wrong, the, the tube, uh, the glow tube comes on. So you got to reverse the cord. And if you forget about the glow tube, yeah, you're, lights you're, out. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, they'll but, be in a state sale. <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, they resolve some issues with the uh, 33. And as a matter of fact, in my video, uh, it's on YouTube. I, I cover what some of the differences are between. But it's the same basic circuit, only they. They put a real power supply in there, and the uh, 34 had a uh, – matter of fact, this is kind of interesting for, for people who uh, are contemplating uh, running higher power portable. Uh, don't overlook the use of an inverter. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can buy a 150-watt DC to AC inverter for a $20 bill, yeah. well, believe it or well, not. Yeah. yeah. Well, well I, I'm running – I have a, a 1.3 kW – 12 volt to 115 volt AC, 12 volt DC, 115 volt AC, 1.3 kilowatts. And I use it on the odd occasion that we have a blackout here. I just go out to my Honda Accord, fire up the engine, put this thing across the, the battery, and I have 1.3 kW at, at 115 volts for the house. So You, you, you can know. make coffee. <laughs> you uh, can run you, the coffee. Got, yeah. You can run a small air conditioner. Yeah. You could. Well, you that, had well to. That, that's how they resolve the issue with the SBA. SBE 33, since it was an AC only rig, you had to buy this little inverter. And yeah. they, they called it the uh, Faust Gonset Magic Coil. And it, it was a little box, and you just plugged it in there and hooked it up to the battery, and you could run the, the SBE 33 off your, out of your car. Well, I mentioned the SBE 33. We could talk about it now before mailbag. But Pete, WB9FLW, sent us an ad that ran for, um, the, for the SBE 33, and the headline at the end was Bilateral. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I, I saw that, and, and it was using the same kind of bilateral circuitry that we have. That's the B and the bit X, 
And but this this was sort of heralding it as a new development in in radio. But the other thing that caught me about the ad, and I will put the ad up on the uh, kind of the, uh, the 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 blog post for this podcast because it's really pretty cool. It talks about the VFO in the rig, and it said it quote it, it is it comes quote with inherent stability. Yeah, inherent that's not stability. A, that's not entirely true. <laughs> Inherent stability, that's the best kind. Yeah, yeah. But by the way, uh, one of my other areas of minor exercise. I guess, I guess, I guess non-inherent stability means that you have to readjust every yeah, couple of minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that would be non-inherent stability. Yeah. That would be operator-provided frequency correction. Yeah. By the way, there's a excellent YouTube video from a fellow named Brian Harris. Brian Harris, and it's WA5EUK. Electric radio contributor. Yes. For he, many years. Yes. And he, a guru. He documented this in electric radio. He's a big guy on the Cosmophone. He's Cosmophone King. Yes. There you go. And that's the first bilateral radio, 1952. Man. Developed by a guy from California, Butch Mason. And then he had this idea and he, he shopping it around. Colin says, nah, not interested. Uh, Gonsett wasn't interested in RME, and he finally found this company in Long Island, New York, Cosmophone, and they, they built it. And they didn't build that many of them. They built three models, the 35, the uh, 50, and here's an interesting – I think Brian's got all of them. Yeah, he does, and 1,000. He, he he talked about an interesting study in, in, in marketing. When they first came out, they caused, called it the Cosmophone 35 in the in – a, the reason it was 35 is they had a single 6146 in there, and about the best they could do, uh, 80 through 10, was 35 watts PEP on phone. 35 watts, why it's called the Cosmophone 35. Not very exciting. So, uh, you know, most guys said, oh, you know, we need more power. We need more power than that. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's QRP. So the president of the company had them silkscreen new front and back panels calling it the Cosmophone 50. Or the, yeah, the, and the reason it was a 50, it'll do 50 watts in CW. Ah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> kind of kind of truthy. Yeah, he was truthy. It's not quite true, but it's truthy. Oh, this is better. True-ish. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, and then, then he went on to make billions in marketing for other companies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, That's the, the spirit. <laughs> the final array is really scary. They put two four CX three three hundreds in there for a kilowatt. <laughs> I thought you, I thought, you, I thought you were going to say that it, that it, that it would run fifty watts for a couple of minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's surprising because a six, single sixty one forty six can actually do more. More, you can run almost ninety watts. There in the handbook, there was a ninety watt linear. In there. Yeah, maybe the maybe the restriction was in the drivetrain. How hard they, they they just didn't have enough well, to drive it that hard. Here's, here was the problem: the, the guy, the president of the company, got a deal from National that had this tank network that was only good for 50 watts. Oh, that'll do he it. Got yeah. a deal on it, <laughs> and and so he says, "Okay, we're going to put the." You know, it was like Gon said, "We got these parts. What can we design around it?" And and they if they had put a real pie network in there, they could have done more. And I think that was the limitation: was that this thing was like a no, like a central electronics, you know, no tune. Just put it mm. on the, the frequency. So anyway, look at that YouTube. It's about 35 minutes long. Absolutely fascinating. Take a look. 
Well, Pete, you know, you put me to shame. I don't have much to report from my bench because I've been, you know, flying down the Caribbean and all that kind of stuff. But we continue with the ceramic uh, discrete direct conversion receiver project. We put up posts on how to do the uh, the VFO, um, and a number of guys have written in that they've done it or versions of it. If anybody really needs, who's already built one, and who really needs, I think Dean Hutzel said this, that, you know, he built it, but he didn't have the, the ceramic resonator. If, you, if you've already built one and you just need the resonator, shoot me an email and I'll, I'll send you one because I got a bunch of them here and I'd like to see this, see more of these things operating with the, the resonator that it was designed with. A number of guys also have built the, uh, the AF amplifier. That was the, the stage we described. The next thing we're going to talk about is the mixer stage designed by Oliver. Um, I think it's K5LVG. He's got an article in the current Sprat too, by the way. No, along no with it's an FL. F, F, F5, yeah, F5, F, F, F5LVG, I think it is. Yeah. It's Oliver. But you'll see him. He's in the current Sprat. It's a real interesting uh, mixer design. And I'm going to go through and talk about it in a blog post probably later this week as part of the series. We're going to do like, we've got, we've done two or three. We'll do two or three more. And that'll, then it'll sit there on, on the, on the blog. And anybody who wants to build it in the future will have some, some references. But John Henry, who is going to be testing the prototype out there at his home, is here visiting with his family. And I had him in the shack yesterday and we were, we were playing with the, uh, the other version that I, of, of the of that receiver that I had here, we had a lot of fun with it. And forty meters was open, and we heard a, a station coming in from France. So oh. that was a, a good moment. If I can, teach this afternoon, I'm going to teach John Henry to solder. Right. If I can Sorry. just interrupt you one second, I, there's such clever guys out there. You were mentioning about Dean. He, yeah. he needed a vernier drive for 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 the capacitor. And and you know what he did? He found a defunct hand crank radio with the gearbox. <laughs> oh my god! He pulls the gearbox out of that, and he puts it on there, and he says, "Yeah, it works." So open your mind. I mean, look to other things. The radio was defunct; it was just sitting there. So he says, "Hey, that's got gears in it. Why why don't I use this?" So I said, "Yeah, that's really cool." That is really cool. That is amazing. Yeah, and these things are floating around. There's all this kind of stuff. So, wow, three three cheers for Dean. Yeah, we're going yeah. to learn more about that. I I, I I sense that as we speak, Pete, the wind-up radios all across the United States are suddenly disappearing. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> into ham shacks, never to be seen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, all the gears are good, you know. All right. Um, so, anyway, that's what I'm working on, and um, we'll we'll keep you posted on that. I like the mixer stage of this thing. I think it's the most interesting stage. You know, it's my the heart of these things is the mixer magic. And so, when you kind of you have it grounded properly, Bill? Do you, did you have the proper proper ground in that? Is that <laughs> I that, think we did. We got it, that, we got it all working. Yeah, so it's all, okay. Just want to make sure. Took me a while to get it straight, but Just, I got it straight. Okay, okay, good. So now we're gonna go. It's time for solder smoke mailbag. Yeah. All right. We got some interesting ma- interesting mail. This, this month. First, a very nice one. Kate Paul, KA5WPL, wrote to Pete looking for a kind of a simple project that he could build with his son. And Pete immediately pointed him towards the sawdust regen receiver. Thank you, Steve Silverman, who sent me the sawdust that I got that I sent off to John Henry. He had some big success with that. So we hope that uh, Paul and his son have have a similar amount of fun with, uh, with their sawdust receiver. Uh, Chris Waldrop, old man PBJ, yes. sent us sent a nice gift. Thanks very much for that. Yeah. We will put I, it to I, good I got use. One too. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. I, I knew we would. But 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 a real gentleman, Chris is, and we will put those funds to good use. Thank you very much. 
And Pete, I don't know if you want to talk about this on the podcast, but I think you should. Maybe we'll save this for last. I'll come back to this and go through this thing. But uh, Chuck, KE5HPY, oh, man, he's the guy who sent us the picture of the very attractive uh, model oh. standing in front of boat, boat anchor radios. Yes. <laughs> you know, this was an invitation to trouble, especially in today's climate. You and I have to be careful about what we say at this point, as does Grayson Evans. Yes. Who, who chimed in with his own comments. And I, I felt obliged to share this thing with Grayson yeah. because he's such a, a boat anchors guru. But there's the model standing there. They always have this face like they're pouting about something. Yes. Like they're, yes. they're mad, right? Yes. Okay. And then she's standing there right in front of this, this kind of shelf with three or four. One of them's a Halicrafter's receiver. One of them looked like an old CB rig or something like that. And she's pouting. And this caused a lot of us to have to comment on what the marketing people had in mind. Do they, do they think that she was repairing the helicrafters or angry because of a design problem or something like that? But um, Grayson, this caused, caused Grayson to remark about how the whole thing reminded him of some old 73 magazine company covers yes. from the 1970s, which we will not discuss any further. Suffice it to say, it was a different time. Just like Dr. Hook and the Medicine Show and Still oh, Silverman yeah. at a different, a different time. Um, Bruce KK0S wrote in that he's experimenting with audio frequency amps for the DC receiver. John KE5ETX wrote saying that he is attempting membership in the Color Burst Liberation Army. We look forward to your enlistment, uh, John. But, but the one I thought was most interesting, Pete, was that you were in contact with Sven Johnson. Yes, he contacted me. Tell us about this, if you if you would. Oh, absolutely. Um, Sven Johnson is the son of Herb Johnson. And Herb Johnson, W6QKI, is a silent key. And uh, he is the founder of Swan Electronics and also um, Atlas Radio. And the reason that Sven contacted me is I had posted something uh, on some either my blog or the website about the uh, Swan 120. And he said, just for nostalgia, he he frequently goes to the internet and does some searches on the Swan products. And he came across my uh, my posting on the Swan 120, and he said he just felt compelled to send me a note uh, because he said that was my dad. And he told me that his older brothers um, uh, actually were involved in the business. And he said he worked there a couple of summers, but he's not a ham. And he said he just wanted to contact me and said, you know, thanks for posting that because that gave me a link with with my dad. And I've had a couple of subsequent emails uh, with Sven. He, Sven, he lives here in in uh, San Diego area. So it was kind of unexpected, but really kind of nice to, to hear from him. And I, I had a very lengthy conversation, and I shared with him a conversation with his dad about – how he did things, and he said, you know, it really, uh, I can tell you about what my dad went through when he kept seeing all these Japanese radios, that they were selling radios for less than the cost of the parts. <laughs> he said it just killed him. He said, you can't be buying those parts <laughs> and putting them in radios. They were dumping them. Just to get yeah. market share, they were dumping them. And yeah. he said it really, he said no matter what he would do, he said it just it just broke his heart because he said, I know what the parts cost. You can't be selling that radio for that, that amount of money because the parts cost more than that. Oh. Yeah. Well, he, he had some really good comments on the Swan 240, yeah. too, and, the, and, and how those designs came in. I remember as I read the emails, I was thinking, wow, there's a lot of 
a lot of ham radio history. Even though he's not a ham, yeah. Sven's got a lot of memories. And somebody, somebody who writes for electric radio should really, I mean, try to, to see if they can sit sure. down and, and, and kind of pick his brains about, you know, the Swan technology. But I'm really glad that you got a, you had a chance to talk to him. And thanks for, uh, for sharing that with us. Pete Giuliano. I think that's it. We're at one hour and 12 minutes, 56 seconds. Um, yeah. You have any, anything else to add here as we head into 2018? Well, I, I wanted to go back to uh, Paul, the, the guy that's building the radio with his son. Uh, yeah. It was kind of an interesting story, and I wanted to share a little bit of a similar story to mine. Uh, first of all, he said his son broke his hip. And I think he was uh, recuperating. So the kid's going stir crazy, you know, <laughs> here he is, nothing to do. So he said, you know, this is an attempt to keep his, so, I mean, he's going to, the kid's going to have a little time with that sawdust regen, you know. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, good. No, yeah, yeah, it, it's, a good, it's a good way to start. It's a, yeah. it's a simple little rig. You yeah. get to understand it. It's fine. And I, I take back all the things I said about regen. And and I, I shared with him that uh, when I got my night kit space banner, uh, I was playing baseball and i caught a ball wrong and broke my thumb and so here's my thumb in a matter of fact i'm going to show you bill if you take <laughs> take a look at my thumbs you'll notice that my one thumb goes <laughs> goes the wrong yeah it's, it's a little bit it's, yeah. as the brits would say it's a bit so, wonky yeah so so what happened is the day i broke my thumb is the day my night space spanner showed up perfect timing kid. and so i couldn't solder so i said I told my dad, you're going to build it and I'm going to supervise you. So <laughs> here I was telling him what to solder, how to do it, how to hold the pliers, how to crimp things. And when he got done, he's, he's sweating. He said, you're a slave driver. <laughs> 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 but but it was such a great experience. And you should have seen the look on his face when he plugged it in and it worked. I mean, he was excited about what he was able to do. And it was because I couldn't use my left hand that he built this rig. And I, I, I told him. Paul, I said, you're going to go through the same thing with your son. I said, it's just going to be great. So I think he's pretty excited about not only the radio project itself, but his chance to do something with his son. So that, that's really great. That, that's a great project to, to do that. Excellent stuff. And we wish them both a lot of luck. Pete Giuliano, that marks the end of today's episode. Let me see. I think we might want to end with a continuation of the music, don't you think? Yes. Dr. Hook. Hold on. On the cover of the Rolling Stones, Sprack Magazine, whatever it is. Hey, Pete, thanks very much. You bet. Thanks to all of our listeners. Thanks to Dr. Hook and Shell Silverstein. Yeah, 7-3 from the left coast. 7-3 from Northern Virginia. Take care, guys. Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. 
Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!